Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithfield, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Tuesday, August 4th, we are studying Judges chapter 15, verses 1 through 20. Samson's attempted marriage to a Philistine woman has already led to conflict between this judge and the Philistines, and that conflict only further escalates in today's text as the Lord makes use of this reckless man to accomplish his deliverance for his people. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Jacob Dandy. Pastor Dandy serves at Zion Lutheran Church and School in Terabella, California. Pastor Dandy, welcome back to Sharper Iron. It's good to be here, Pastor Apple. As we get started this morning, Pastor Dandy, give us some context. We're kind of right down smack dab in the middle of the Samson account. We've seen his marriage, his failed marriage in the previous chapter. What do we need to know about the man, his account so far that will help us into chapter 15 today? Uh, yes, so um, uh, we, we have, once again, Samson's uh failed marriage, that this, this strife has been instituted between Samson and the Philistine people following his wedding to this Philistine woman. Um, you know, due to this whole affair of the riddle, and uh, uh, as, as Samson says, the Philistines sewing with his heifer or, or uh, uh, using his wife to kind of get the answer to the riddle, um, uh, uh, Samson ends up leaving the wedding lightly, likely without consummating the marriage. And, um, uh, these, these events demonstrate, uh, several issues with Samson. Uh, first, uh, and one of the things that we need to take note of with Samson is that, um, his whole birth narrative is, his parents are told that Samson is to be a Nazarite. A Nazarite is a person who, uh, in the Old Testament, had um, his life set aside for a special service to the Lord. And, and Samson was to be a Nazarite all of his days. And we can see that um, Samson doesn't quite take this vow to be a Nazarite very seriously, um, but then also he does not take God's commandment not to intermarry with the nations, with the Gentiles, very seriously. Um and yet, in, in all of this, uh, God is using these events, and we're going to see how God uses these events today um, to bring out uh, uh, redemption for his people from the hands of the Philistines. God, in his divine forbearance and his loving providence, is going to use Samson, even though Samson doesn't take his work and his calling seriously, uh, to, to be his instrument of redeeming his people from the hand of the Philistines. Yeah, that, that theme of Samson and his sins, and yet the Lord still making use of this sinful man to deliver his people, is going to be a theme that we see throughout his narrative, and that, that's no different here in chapter 15. So let's, let's read a little bit into the text now. We're in Judges 15, beginning at verse 1. We hear, After some days, at the time of wheat harvest, Samson went to visit his wife with a young goat. 
And he said, I will go into my wife in the chamber. But her father would not allow him to go in. And her father said, I really thought that you utterly hated her, so I gave her to your companion. Is not her younger sister more beautiful than she? Please take her instead. And Samson said to them, This time I shall be innocent in regard to the Philistines when I do them harm. So Samson went and caught 300 foxes and took torches. And he turned them tail to tail and put a torch between each pair of tails. And when he had set fire to the torches, he let the foxes go into the standing grain of the Philistines and set fire to the stacked grain and the standing grain, as well as the olive orchards. Then the Philistines said, Who has done this? And they said, Samson, the son-in-law of the Timnite, because he has taken his wife and given her to his companion. And the Philistines came up and burned her and her father with fire. And Samson said to them, If this is what you do, I swear I will be avenged on you, and after that I will quit. And he struck them hip and thigh with a great blow, and he went down and stayed in the cleft of the rock of Etam. All right, we'll pause there. That was through verse 8. So, Pastor Dandy, I think you're right that he Samson probably did not consummate his marriage in the previous chapter. It seems that he leaves on the seventh day before that consummation would have taken place. And and now now it seems that maybe he has second thoughts or he decides, you know what, I'm, I'm going to go back. I'm going to get my wife. And of course, things don't turn out the way that Samson had initially in, had intended. Take us into this this interaction with Samson, his his former betrothed and, and all that happens in response. Yeah, yeah. So th- this is kind of interesting. Uh, you, you see Samson and, you know, you get this detail that it's in the days of the wheat harvest. So you almost get this image of Samson uh, being out with the field in the field with the other young men uh, and they're, they're going about their wheat harvest and all the other young men are talking about their sweetheart. And all of a sudden Samson's like, oh yeah, I, I have this this Philistine wife, right? Uh, um, uh, you know that his 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 heart kind of softens towards this idea of, of romance and all of that stuff, and so he decides to go back to his, go back and claim his wife and go see her, right? Uh, but uh, you also kind of get this sense that um, even even in going to go see this this Philistine woman of his, right, that uh, his motives aren't exactly as pure. Um, and and clean as the as the driven snow, right? But uh, you know he he comes bringing a goat, um, and we see that happen also uh, in the Bible. Somebody comes bearing a goat to visit a woman uh, in the account of Judah and Tamar in Genesis thirty eight, hmm. uh, and Judah brings a goat as the wage of a Canaanite prostitute. Right, uh, and so I might be inferring too much into the motives of Samson here, but it it, it almost you know got, got this image that he's going to see uh, this woman who was his betrothed, um, but uh, maybe he doesn't have a fully sanctified view of of this marriage that he doesn't have this fully uh, um, pure intent and motive uh, going to visit her. Right, um, uh, although. Most likely, the marriage probably wasn't consummated. Um, the father's kind of left with a decision to make for his daughter, and so uh, the the daughter is given to Samson's companion. The, he's given to Samson's, uh, I guess, best man at the at the wedding uh, event. And so you kind of see there um, uh, a couple of things happening. Uh, 
I would wager to say that the, the person who was given to Samson as a companion uh, might likely have been a Philistine. So that probably would have been an easier situation for the Philistine parents. Um, uh, but then also, I, I would probably say that, you know, uh, they, they want to free themselves of the shame that just happened with Samson. Uh, they, they don't want to be associated with this guy who just went and killed 30 Philistines, so they quickly marry her off before Samson can go back and cause more problems for the family. Mm-hmm. Um, with that being said, Samson comes back. He wants to see his wife, uh, or this woman he claims is his wife. Uh, she's been given to another, and he's, he's downright mad about it. Um, and so he, he takes this out on all of the Philistine people, uh, this is a, a time where God kind of uses his selfish anger um, uh, to, to stir up strife between Samson and the Philistines, and Samson goes about this, this, this is actually kind of an epic thing, if you think about it, um, where he goes and he catches these 300 foxes, ties them tail to tail with a torch in the middle, and sets them loose in the... Uh, in the fields of the Philistines. You got to think this is the time of the harvest, the time of the wheat harvest. This is uh, uh, most likely you have these dry fields that are ready to be harvested. The the grains have now dried on the stock. It, it, it's ready to be collected and all of that stuff and sets fire to the fields. Now, when, when I imagine this in my head, it's kind of this really bizarre thing. First of all, you, you, you got to think this has to be quite the, the feat of outdoorsmanship, uh, agility, strength, endurance to catch 300 foxes, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and now likely the, the environment in this time uh, of history uh, probably had more of a, a biome like sub-Saharan Africa. So there were probably lions and, and uh, possibly jackals and foxes and other creatures roaming around. Uh, what we know from the text, there are lions roaming around in that part of the world. Um, and so they would have been available to catch. But one of the other things that I was thinking about, like, who does this? Who thinks this up tying uh, foxes tails to tails? And so I actually went and, and looked uh, looked up, you know, uh, basically the idea of incendiary animals. And that's not uncommon in the ancient world. Uh, uh, Hannibal Barbosa of Carthage, uh, uh, back during the time of the... Uh, um, uh, war between Carthage and Rome, uh, he would send oxes, oxen with, uh, with torches tied to their horns into the em- enemy ranks. Uh, the Romans would use, uh, with, and I don't have a good term for this, but basically incendiary pigs uh, to send uh, into enemy fortifications and ranks and stuff like that. Uh, and so I guess I thought that, you know, man, Samson's really weird in thinking this up, right? Uh, to, to tie foxes tail to tail and send them out into the field. But I, I guess this was a common effort in warfare in the ancient world, having uh, fire-laden animals thrown at your enemies. So I thought that was kind of fun and entertaining, at least, a uh, tidbit of history. Um, uh, but what, what's really interesting about this is that, you know, uh, this event does stir up strife, uh, and, and what's also kind of interesting about this is what this reveals um, about Samson himself, his heart and his motives. Um, when, when his wife is given to another, uh, he says, I will be innocent regardless of Philistines when I do them harm, right? So he has this um, uh, definitely a slight 
made against him from them, and he says, and he claims, it is my right to take vengeance, right? Um, and then uh, when uh, the Philistines react to Samson's work here, burning their fields with the foxes, uh, they, they, they take it a step forward, uh, and they go burn his former betrothed and his former father-in-law. Uh, and he says, then, I will be avenged on you, and after that, I will quit, right? And so as we, we look at Samson, uh, uh, a lot of times when you look at the other judges, they're, they're operating within a kind of fourth commandment vocation of acting as a redeemer and a deliverer of his people, as the judge and the leader. And, and that does often involve them uh, going to war, it involves them fighting, it involves them killing and uh, uh, fighting against the enemy, right? But Samson here explicitly states that the, the warfare, the combat um, that he is engaging with the Philistines is based on his own individual flights. It's, it's the things that offended him. Uh, you know, it's such a contrast to when you think of King David and Goliath, right? Or the boy David and Goliath. What, what's David all worked up over? Is he worked up over uh, uh, any insult that Goliath bears at him? No, he's worked up over the insult that Goliath is tossing at God and his people, uh, where it's kind of the opposite with Samson here. He feels insulted by the Philistines, and so he's going to take it upon himself to uh, bear out vengeance against them. Uh, so we see a lot of Samson's arrogant and self-serving desire to avenge himself playing out in this text. So we, we see a lot of uh, his his sinful imperfection here, for sure. Definitely. And let me, uh, just a couple of thoughts on that, Pastor Dandy. One, just the matter of the fire that's used here, especially with these foxes. That's that's very interesting to hear about how this matter of, of using animals to to set fire to things was a common practice. But even just, even without the animals, it, it we ought to pay attention that the use of fire is not uncommon here as a, a weapon of war and would have been a pretty terrible one. It's not like there would have been a fire department in the local village, not even a volunteer fire department that could have done much about all of this destruction by fire. So that's a pretty destructive mm -hmm. thing. And you, you see here how it escalates. Not only does Samson make use of the fire with the foxes, but then the Philistines return it over over the, the father of the of Samson's bride. So, I mean, just, just to to see that in our minds, I mean, we, we shouldn't miss just the just the the way that this situation escalates so quickly, where everything's pretty much on fire. So, I mean, that that's one thing. Yeah, <laughs> and and then yeah. just from I mean, so that's on on maybe the most basic level, but then to to talk a little bit further about Samson as a figure and and what his motives are, I think I think what you're what we see in Samson to a degree is. All of the other sins and faults of the judges that were there in the background at the very least, sometimes they come to the surface a bit more, but they're definitely in the background in other judges. It seems they start to get magnified with Samson. And so mm -hmm. this, this example of the anger and vengeance, we saw it a bit in the Gideon story. At the very end of Gideon's life, he... Perhaps, it's, it's hard to say for sure, you don't get a statement like you do from Samson here that comes out of Gideon's mouth, but you get the sense in Gideon's life toward the end that he 
has some sense of personal anger or personal justice. And so the the distinction that we made when we were talking about this, and I got this from Pastor uh, Brian Wolfmuller when we were talking about James, actually, but he, he makes the distinction between an anger of office and an anger of person, which I think is what you were getting at mm. when we were talking we yeah. about the fourth commandment, that Gideon, Jephthah, Samson, all these judges, in their office given by God, it is their duty, their calling from God to execute his vengeance upon his people's enemies, in this case, the Philistines for Samson. And so as a judge, it is good and right that he would defeat the enemies of God, the Philistines. However, Mm -hmm. it does seem, and and, I mean, I think you see this in Gideon and Jephthah both, but with Samson, you hear the words from his own mouth, where he says, I swear I will be avenged on you, where it seems that he, or when I, I shouldn't, I keep saying he seems, from what he says, he's letting that anger of office bleed over into an anger of person, where he's no longer... Mm -hmm doing this because God has called him to defeat the enemies of the Lord and the enemies of his people as judge. Rather, he's seeking personal vengeance in personal anger, and that's where he takes it too far. Now, the the mystery in all of this, and, and you can dig into this a little bit more, is that even as Samson is going too far in his anger and vengeance, still the Lord is at work defeating the enemies of his people. So I'll, I'll throw mm-hmm. it back to you with that, Pastor Danny. Well, yeah, and so I, I, and I think one of the things, when you talked about the escalation a minute ago, um, that, that is how the world handles conflict, right? Mm-hmm. It escalates. Uh, the world handles conflict by answering in conflict. The world handles hatred and offense by more hatred and more offense. And, and what we're seeing with Samson is this pro- progression that happens throughout the entire book of Judges. Uh, you know, you know, you come from the generation with Joshua uh, that that pours into the Holy Land, fights the war, go uh, uh, drives out the na- uh, does what they can to drive out the nations. They stall, they stop driving them out. But um, generation by generation, uh, you're going to see that the Israelites become more and more like the nations because they fail to drive the nations out. Um, and it, we, we see that kind of embodied in Samson to where, um, we, we see Samson behaving just like the nations do. And we're going to see later in the text here, God's people behaving just like the nations do until you get to the very end of the book of Judges and everyone just does what's right in his own eyes. Mm-hmm. But this, this, um, this vengeance or this, uh, this, uh, anger of, uh, office and this anger of person, right? Um, uh, does, does actually, um, does actually play into hand here, uh, or, or uh, come to bear for us here, because we, we know that what does Christ tell his people to do, um, concerning taking vengeance? Well, we, we see Jesus say in Matthew 5, uh, where it says, you've heard it said, that you shall love your neighbor and hate your inner, inner enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes the, his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? 
And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even Gentiles do the same. You therefore must be perfect, as your Heavenly Father is perfect. And so we see here that Jesus tells us to love our enemies. Um, uh, that Jesus, uh, and you know, that's not Jesus commanding us to be pacifists. But it is Jesus telling us, according to our personal vocation as individuals, um, to say, vengeance is mine, say the Lord, right? We, we, Romans 12, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all, and if possible, so far as it depends on you, live at peace with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing so you will keep burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And, of course, this is God's will for his people Israel as well. Uh, God institutes the, the city of refuge, cities of refuge in Israel, to curb people's desire for vengeance amongst his people. And it boils down to the idea that God's desire is to be merciful. In Micah, it says, Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgressions of the remnant of his heritage? He does not retain his anger forever, because he delights in mercy, and he will again have compassion on us and subdue our iniquities. You will cast all of our sins into the depths of the sea. Right? And so... We see God's desire to be merciful played out throughout the scriptures, and we see it brought to life in Jesus, because Jesus is God's mercy towards sinners. Jesus is the one who comes to enact God's mercy by dying for the sins of the world. And so that should be reinforced with the people of God, that to be godly, to be Christ-like, is to be merciful. And Jesus says, be merciful just as your Father is merciful. It says in James, uh, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits without partiality and without hypocrisy. And so it's the duty of those, uh, as you said, uh, to have been given secular authority to bear the sword. That, that Romans 13 uh, reality, that, that those who have governmental secular authority do not bear the sword in vain. But in the same way, Samson was God's instrument. However, Samson's motivation, Samson's heart, does not seem to flow from a desire to serve God's people as their ruler and judge. Mm. He simply just wants to hurt those who have hurt him. Mm. And so when it comes to this matter of the heart and godly love, Samson seems to fall short. And, and really, you know, when somebody says something mean to you, What's the natural, sinful inclination? But to say something mean back, when somebody does something rude to you, what's your inclination? To do something rude back. And so Samson here um, is, is falling into sins that are common, uh, but we see that uh, as Samson's been given and been called into this higher office of being a Nazarite, uh, devoted to God's service, his motives are all wrong. And Samson's not unique. Actually, he's very much like all the men of Israel at his time. Uh, he, he, he's, he's just acting according to what he thinks is right. He's doing what's right according to his own eyes. Mm. Um, 
and yet we, we see in all of this, um, God is working to care for his people, right? Um, and Samson, though, like all leaders who have ever lived, is a sinner who has sinful intentions, but God still stands sovereign over it all. Mm. And he uses this sinful man as an instrument of his deliverance. And that's really God's, you know, he uses sinful men to do his work. No, that, that's exactly right. And I, I think, you know, if we go back to chapter 13, where the angel of the Lord comes to Samson's parents, uh, one of the things that the Lord tells them there is that Samson, their child, shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. And, and I wonder if, if mm-hmm. this this combination that we're seeing here of Samson between this anger of office that is right, that, that the Lord would use Samson's anger of office to deliver the Philistine, deliver his people from the Philistines, bleeding over into his personal anger, where he, he takes that too far, if that's not a, a picture of this matter of beginning to save the people of Israel. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, he, he does—there d- are these great acts of deliverance that Samson does here in the book of Judges. Some of the most memorable acts of deliverance are found in the Samson narrative— all the while mixed in with these some of the most memorable sins as well. And, and so, you know, the, this picture of Samson that, yes, he is delivering the people from the Philistines, but it's only a beginning. And and I I think the, the more that I reflect on Samson's account, it it just has to push us forward to that ultimate deliverer, Jesus Christ, who who doesn't have any missteps any which way where, where Samson and any mm-hmm. other judge does. Uh, we just have a real, about a minute here before the break, Pastor Dandy, and there's there's one more piece I want to pick up from the text that we've read, just just quickly, and it's there in verse verse 8. In, in the ESV, it's translated that Samson struck them hip and thigh with a great blow in this, that's the, the final act of vengeance in this particular section. What What should we picture in our minds with that turn of phrase? Yeah, um, and you know, I, 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 you know, this is kind of a hard phrase because I think it's an idiom that's lost on us. Um, uh, either it's it's some sort of a vicious assault on the Philistines, maybe, um, maybe some type of guerrilla warfare. Uh, you also, um, some commentators have even said to be struck hip and thigh means it's, it's some sort of martial arts move where you. Uh, um, where you uh, kind of strike somebody in the thigh or in the hip to throw their balance off and then throw them to the ground, kind of, I don't know, uh, like a jujitsu thing, I don't know. Um, uh, but, but the idea there is that, you know, he, he cuts them off where it's low. He, you know, it's almost where he hits them low, he incapacitates them and knocks them back, right? Mm. Um, uh, so that, um, you know, it's this kind of, uh, debilitating, uh, almost humiliating takedown strike that Samson places against the Philistine. Yeah, I, I mean, I just I love to, and whether or not it's martial, but it'd be cool to to picture Samson as this this mighty warrior who, you know, I mean, just think of whatever movie you want to, where the hero is is doing all kinds of crazy martial arts type moves. To picture, I mean, just to have that kind of picture in our imagination, I think just puts the the text into to great high definition color TV. So with that thought, mm-hmm. we're going to we're going to take our break here on Sharp Iron. You're listening to us on KFUO. Please stick around.
Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Tuesday, August 4th, and we are studying Judges chapter 15, verses 1 through 20. We've got Pastor Jacob Dandy with us. He serves at Zion Lutheran Church and School in Terrabella, California. Pastor Dandy, prior to the break, we looked at this first back and forth between Samson and the Philistines where he takes his vengeance a bit too far, and yet God still is at work to execute his judgment against the Philistines. And now that same theme is going to continue forward as the situation and the conflict between Samson and the Philistines escalates. So we're picking up the text now in Judges 15, verse 9. Then the Philistines came up and encamped in Judah and made a raid on Lehi. And the men of Judah said, Why have you come up against us? They said, We have come up to bind Samson, to do to him as he did to us. Then three thousand men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock of Etam, and said to Samson, Do you not know that the Philistines are rulers over us? What then is this that you have done to us? And he said to them, As they did to me, so have I done to them. And they said to him, We have come down to bind you, that we may give you into the hand of the Philistines. And Samson said to them, Swear to me that you will not attack me yourselves. They said to him, No, we will only bind you and give you into their hands. We will surely not kill you. So they bound him with two new ropes and brought him up from the rock. When he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting to meet him. Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and the ropes that were on his arms became as flax that has caught fire, and his bonds melted off his hands. And he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey and put out his hand and took it, and with it he struck one thousand men. And Samson said, With the jawbone of a donkey heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey have I struck down a thousand men. As soon as he had finished speaking, he threw away the jawbone out of his hand, and that place was called Ramath-Lehi. All right, we'll pause there. So here's another one of those just terribly memorable scenes from Samson's account, this matter of killing a thousand men with a jawbone of the donkey. And we'll get there, Pastor Dandy. But what stands out, I think, in that first part of the text is that Samson has gone seems looking for refuge among his own people, but he doesn't find it. His own people, the people of Judah, who should be on his side, seem to be just perfectly content to live under the, the rulership of the of the Philistines. What's going on here? Yeah, yeah. And so we get to see here that maybe the character flaws of Samson are not just Samson's, right? Uh, that that these character flaws of Samson um, might be a little bit endemic uh, to all of the people of of Israel, or at least these men of Judah here, um, because really, when when the when the Philistines come and and, and make camp um, uh, uh, and and start making raid on Lehi, these three thousand men of Judah should have stood up, flocked to Samson, stood with him, and went to battle, right? Because God 
God gives the commandments to the to the people of Israel to drive out the nations. Uh, to take possession of the land. And he tells them, I will be with you as you do this. Uh, In Deuteronomy 1, it says, See, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go take possession as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has told you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Do not be afraid. Get up, be ready to fight, and take possession of the land that I have given to you as a precious inheritance. In Joshua 1.9, in Joshua's great speech to Israel before they crossed the Jordan, he says, Have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage, do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And yet these these men of Judah, these 3,000 men, aren't flocking to Samson uh, uh, to, to follow him into battle, but rather they're quite content to have the Philistines rule over them, right? Uh, They they walk up to him and said, do you not know that the Philistines are rulers over us? What have you done to us, right? That that they're almost mad at Samson for instigating a fight with the Philistines, which, uh, you know, they they should be praising Samson and following him um, for instigating this fight with the Philistines because God has promised. Uh, that the people of Israel, as they go to war uh, against the nations, will drive them out and that they will take possession of the land that God has given them. And so we see that these men are cowards, that they, they aren't trusting in God to deliver the Philistines in their hand, from their hands. They're, they're not willing uh, to do what God has commanded. They're not uh, valuing or looking to the inheritance that God has promised as, as their ultimate good. Right there's a lack of courage. There's a lack of faith, and and really, uh, there there is there's an unwillingness to stand on the word of God alone. Right, that you know that they have grown comfortable with the world around them, and when we when we live in this world, it it's it's so very easy. Uh, for things not to be right, for things to not be right according to the will and to the Word of God, but for us to just kind of generally accept it as our reality. Um, and, and so and maybe one of the areas that we see this most in our days within the Church is maybe the failure for churches and congregations to, to take discipline um, uh, seriously, that... that uh, um, we, we grow comfortable with the idea of uh, Christians and members of the congregation doing what the world does, thinking what the world thinks, saying what the world says, believing in what the world believes in. Um, and so congregations just say, well, okay, that's the world we live in. Um, uh, this is how things are. And, and so I, I don't want to just stand in judgment over these men of Judah for not flocking to the banner uh, of, of the Lord to take possession of the land, because I think sometimes um, we lack the same kind of moral conviction and the same moral courage that these men of Judah did. Um, and uh, uh, sometimes even we, in our time, fail to stand on the Word of God alone. Uh, and, and the men of Judah, uh, along with us, along with Samson, we all need to continue to live in repentance of this, um, because the, the, everything else is sinking sand, 
the Word of God is the rock and uh, which we stand upon. It's 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 the that's the Word of grace that builds our faith. Um, you know, doctrine, uh, uh, the Word, it saves, it brings life. Uh, we should view every word of Scripture as if it's penned in the blood of Jesus. And um, I think sometimes we forget that, too, that God has promised us in His Word uh, what He is doing and what He's going to do. Um, and we, we are simply called in this life to be faithful. Uh, and, and so here... Here's what we have, uh, uh, and it's it's really just that progression throughout the book of Judges, uh, that kind of downward spiral till we get to the end, and uh, the tribes of Benjamin are being crazy and rebelling against each other, uh, uh, and everyone's doing what's right in their own eyes. Mm, yeah, there, there's definitely a downward downward spiral, and it is it's striking to see the contrast between Samson on the one hand, who's in this. Uh, rage of vengeance, and then these men of Judah who just are ready to let whatever happen, happen, and, and yet they they share the similarity of not standing on the Word of God, that, that Samson won't stand on the Word of God to do the job of a judge and, and not be drawn into vengeance and anger, and these men of Judah won't stand on the Word of God to, to actually stand against the enemies of his church. And, and they, they share that in common. And yet, through it all, God is still at work, which is, is just amazing to me and, and very striking. That and on the, I'm just thinking, as, as you were talking about the men of Judah, Pastor Dandy, that it's, it's almost like, you know, God knew that none of these men of Judah were going to do anything about the Philistines unless someone like Samson came along and had a reason for vengeance like he had. And that's the only way that, I mean, I shouldn't say that. The Lord can accomplish anything he chooses in any way he wants. But like in that historical context where you've got a great majority of the people of Israel who are just unwilling to, to do anything and are perfectly content to to sit and, and be slaves of the Philistines like the people would have been content to be slaves in Egypt, a similar attitude. What is it mm-hmm. at that moment in history that the Lord chooses to use for his deliver a man who is driven by vengeance and and there's I mean he just stands in stark contrast, at least in his outward actions. I think there is a, a great similarity in terms of the way that neither one is standing on the word of God. And yet through it all, you see the Lord's guiding hand to do precisely what he intends, to deliver his people from the Philistines, even with this vengeful man and these wimpy folks from Judah, the Lord's still going to do his his work. And he does it here again in just this such such a memorable way. The the jawbone of a donkey is Samson's chosen weapon. I mean, this is, you know, he's got Fox is on fire. He's doing martial arts, and now he's got the jawbone of a donkey to defeat the Philistines. It's just such a such a wonderful picture here that that we can mm-hmm. see in our minds. Yeah, you know, and and you know, piggybacking on what you're saying, you know, what's what's really interesting about this is that God's kind of showing us. He, he, he's showing the people of Israel. If if all the men of Israel aren't willing to stand up and do their duty, I'm going to put the strength of all the men of Israel into one guy. Mm, yeah. Right? Um, that that Samson has these three thousand men who should line up behind him, be ready to go to war. Uh, they don't, uh, and so God has to um, put this put the strength in the most vicious guy around, so that he mm. can use that man as an instrument to deliver his people. Um, 
And, and, and what happens is you, you have this, and I don't know, when you were a kid, did you ever play uh, like King of the Hill or sure. King of the Tree Stump or anything like that, where sure. you and your buddies would try to push each other off the top of the, uh, the, the tree stump? Uh, I, I have, or that uh, dirt mound or whatever, you know, you know, you have that image that you have Samson standing on top of a rock or, 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 or a hill and just knocking Philistines off left mm. and right. Um, uh, that, that, or, or, or even you, you have that kind of, uh, scene in every superhero movie now where you, you have the, the hero and all the bad guys kind of dogpile on top of him and he kind of stands up and all the bad guys fly everywhere, you know? Um, you know, it's, so it, it's, it is kind of like this ancient, um, uh, real life biblical superhero event where, where, where Samson is doing these amazing feats of strength. Um, and I, I believe God does this um, because the, the men of Israel were were just unwilling to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and so God calls a man into the office that will do it. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, it, and, and we, we see that Samson and all the judges and, and really all of these deliverers of Israel are types of Jesus. Um, uh, it, the same thing kind of applies to righteousness, right? Uh, you know, the, the men of Israel were unable and un, or unwilling to, to drive out the Philistines. They, they certainly would have been able, according to the Word of God, but in their weakness of their flesh, they couldn't do it. So God uh, sends one man to do it for them. Uh, and, and so, uh, according to our sin, according to our fallen nature, uh, the original uh, fallen nature that we inherit from Adam— God sends the second Adam. God sends Jesus um, to accomplish what we could not accomplish, what we are unable to because of our sinful flesh to do, and he sends Jesus to fulfill all righteousness. Um, and, and so Jesus is the one who comes and, and fulfills righteousness uh, for our sake because we don't, because we fail at it. Um, and so you get this kind of type in Samson of him being uh, Israel reduced to one, or God's people reduced to one man. Um, but then we have that ultimately in Jesus, mm. where, where Jesus is all of God's people reduced into one man, fulfilling all righteousness on our behalf, and then bearing the wrath of God for us uh, on his cross. Mm. And so we have that redemption arc there going with Jesus as well. Yeah, I think when you when you said earlier, it's as if all of the strength of the men of Israel, they're unwilling to do what God has desired them to do, and so God pours all that strength into this one man. But it, it seems with Samson that all of their sins get poured into this one man as well, and, and it all gets magnified yeah. within Samson too, such that Samson is a, a Israel reduced to one in in that uh, more negative sense, whereas Jesus becomes Israel reduced to one in a, a far more positive sense, that everything we couldn't do, he does do on our behalf. And and so we see Samson and we see Jesus by way of contrast with Samson. Um, certainly there, there mm-hmm. are images within Samson's own life where there is something that Samson does that we see our Lord do even greater. But oftentimes it's, it's Samson does something and He's delivering the people of Israel, but he's doing it in a sinful way, where our Lord comes and delivers all mankind in in perfection and holiness. And so, I mean, just to yeah. to see all of this, it's no it's no accident. I think 
that Samson here is the last major judge that we read about within the book of Judges. Certainly he comes last chronologically, but I mean, he does really form, his his account forms a, a great wrap-up to everything that we've seen throughout the book up to this point, and we see it all just concentrated here in this in this one man, Samson. Uh, Pastor Dandy, I'm going to go ahead and read the rest of our text. There's only a couple verses left, but there's, there's some things to talk about, because it, this has a slightly different character than everything we've read so far. Everything so far has been Samson and his mighty acts, and, and here we see, yet even this man needs the Lord's help. So, Judges 15, verses 18 through 20. And he, Samson, was very thirsty, and he called upon the Lord and said, You have granted this great salvation by the hand of your servant, and shall I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? And God split open the hollow place that is at Lehi, and water came out from it. And when he drank, his spirit returned, and he revived. Therefore the name of it was called En-Hakore. It is at Lehi to this day. And he judged Israel in the days of the Philistines 20 years. And that's where our text ends for today. So, so far, I mean, we've seen Samson in great strength throughout this text. But here we see a moment of weakness where he, too, cries out for help from the Lord. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and just just to to get it in there, um, so that that people get it. You know, all these Hebrew names and stuff mean something. Um, you know, when uh, the name of the place was called Ramas Lehi, that that just means Jawbone Hill, uh, and in Hakore, the name of the spring, uh, that's the well of he who cried out. Mm. Um, and so these these places receive their names. But yeah, um, Samson uh, is is given a a big reminder here, I believe, um, that you know. Uh, Samson's heart is is not right in all of these actions, um, and so we see that God disciplines Samson in love. God acts out of fatherly divine care to discipline him, uh, and so after Samson has this great mor- moment of victory, fighting off a thousand men, he, he forces Samson to cry out to the Lord for help. See, as Samson acts in arrogance, as, Ser- as Samson acts in pride, as he acts in, in vengeance, um, God reminds him that he is just as dependent on the Lord as everyone else is. He needs the Lord to provide for the needs of this body and life. He needs God to be his Redeemer. And so after this amazing feat of strength of slaying a thousand Philistines, Samson is forced to cry out to God because he's dying of thirst. And and I think here God reminds Samson that he is not immortal. He reminds Samson that he is not the Christ come down to earth to save people, rather he needs a Savior too. And I think, uh, and, and this is just something I toy around with in my head, and I think I, I got it from one of my brother-in-laws, but um, uh, that a lot of times the great heroes of the Bible um, because God grants them such success, they begin to view themselves as the Christ, right? You know, we, we see this with David towards the end of his life, where he, he institutes this census that enrages the Lord, right? That, that he thinks he has the authority to enact what the Lord acts. We see that with, with young King Josiah, uh, who even though the prophets of God say, don't go out to battle, you will die, says, I'm going out to battle. Um, that they begin to think that that they are God, 
um, that uh, they are uh, that they are God's uh, um, incarnate uh, gift to the world. Uh, and sometimes I think pastors fall into that trap too. If they experience uh, gifts and joy in their ministry, very often uh, they'll start to think of themselves as the savior of the church. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but here we see God reminding Samson, God humbling Samson. And forcing Samson to cry out, uh, "Lord, save me! Lord, help me!" Uh, and th- this is why the sa- uh, this book of Hebrews lists Samson as one who the Lord disciplines, one who the Lord delivers. We we look in Hebrews eleven, and and we get this kind of honorable mention list of of saints that uh, have gone before us in the Old Testament, uh, and Samson's uh, among those that he is used as an example of God's righteous and loving discipline. But then um, the writer of Hebrews turns that back onto the reader, onto the church, and he says, and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. And it is for discipline that you have to endure, because God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom the Father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons of God. Besides this, we have earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them, and so we must, we, and shall we not much more be subjected to the Father of spirits and live? And so here we have Samson um, really as a microcosm of the entire book of Judges and, and really the entire life of the Christian. You know, you have the book of Judges, you know, God's people uh, are, are faithful, God's people fall away, God's people are disciplined, God's people repent, God sends a judge to redeem them, uh, uh, God's people are faithful, God's people sin, so on and so forth, that God continually disciplines his people in order to call them to repentance and to faith in him. Uh, and he does the same thing for us. For it's, We as Christians in Christ and I don't want to call evil good um, in any circumstance, but in Christ, we, we can count all adversity, all those things that pop up in our life that are inconvenient, that are painful, that are sad, that are tragic, um, to be acts of loving discipline from God, because God's wrath is not poured out on us. God's wrath has been poured out in full on Jesus. And so when things happen that we don't like, uh, we count that as the loving hand of God acting in fatherly care to call us to repentance and faith. That doesn't mean we start calling bad things good. The wages of sin are still the wages of sin, but we can take comfort in knowing that God is acting in love and care towards us according to his righteousness and his loving work in Christ. You know, the, the hymn of the day that this last Sunday was from God, Nothing Can Move Me. And, and there's this verse, I'm kind of obsessing over that hymn right now, but there's this verse that says, The Lord my life arranges who can his work destroy, and his good time he changes all sorrow into joy. So let me then be still, my body, soul, and spirit, his tender care inherit according to his will. That, that's, that's looking at our life and adversity and saying, we must uh, um, that we can be still, 
that we can know that God's promises are true, and we can count all things um, as, as an act of love from God, even though it may not seem that way. And so ultimately, God disciplined Samson, causes us to call on the Lord in faith. Um, uh, and, and once again, God does this again at the end of Samson's life. Uh, as we see Samson, um, uh, uh, at the moment he dies, once again, calling out on the name of the Lord, um, calling upon the name of the Lord to help him. And, and so we see this uh, loving discipline of God playing out in Samson, uh, and we see that loving discipline of God playing out in judges and in us. Um, Pastor Danny, with like two minutes here, just a very brief wrap-up of this text, reflecting on the way that even through a man like Samson, God still does his work. Yeah, and so, uh, though Samson, like all people, is sinful, uh, he has his sinful intentions, God still stands sovereign on all things, he uses Samson as an instrument of his deliverance. God uh, places a full, flawed, and sinful man into his vocation to carry out his holy will. And actually, God does that in all three estates. Um, uh, God does that in our lives. You, you think about parents, you know, that maybe their, their motives aren't necessarily sinless, but they still love and take care of their children. And though, so Samson, he doesn't seem so interested in doing God's will, and often his heart is set against the will of God, the Lord still goes about doing his work of saving his people. He works through these, uh, uh, in the midst of these wicked motives, to, to bring salvation to his people. And it really kind of echoes the, um, that, that, that promise from Romans 8, as we know all things, uh, are, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And so Samson's motives are wrong but God's will is still for the good of his people, and God's people are still being redeemed. They're being redeemed from the enemies of, uh, of, of the, the kingdom. And so we can say, in this case, it's not the man who is holy, but the office that this man occupies is holy. Mm. And in this holy office of judge, uh, God will carry out the work that he has instituted uh, so that he can accomplish his means, and his will for his people in love. Pastor Jacob Dandy is the pastor at Zion Lutheran Church and School in Terrabella, California, helping us today with Judges 15, verses 1 through 20. Pastor Dandy, thanks for being our guest. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow. <laughs>